Lord, you are beautiful, holy, faithful, righteous. What a great and awesome God we serve. Lord, we love you so much. We can't wait to see you face to face. Lord, it could be today, and we know that. Lord, may we live every day like it. Father, I pray now as we go to your word, may you be our teacher. Lord, I pray we wouldn't be listening for how this message might benefit somebody else. But Lord, how it might minister to our hearts and transform our lives. And Lord, how we might be more faithful in your calling upon our lives. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. May we be open to your spirit ministering to each and every one of us individually. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 14. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I want to encourage you to be here Sunday. We'll be looking at the second half of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, by the way, be in prayer. If everything works out like it should, there'll be about 120 or so uh, football players here from Monta Vista Christian High School. They're bringing all three of their football teams here on Sunday. So uh, just be praying because even though it's a Christian school, some of those guys will not know the Lord. And they're going to be hearing about the continuance of the day of the Lord on Sunday. So they'll want to know the Lord hopefully by the time they leave. All right. Now, just to catch you up, it's been a few weeks. You guys, I was on vacation and I was sick, so I, uh, I'm not a visitor. I actually do attend this church. But tonight we're going to continue looking at the, the, the judges. And if you'll remember, the judges were not guys in black robes who ruled with a gavel, but they were actually the deliverers that God appointed and God called to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. But each time they went into bondage was because of their own sin. What a picture of God's grace. What would happen is that God would deliver them and they would be doing well. Then the judge or the deliverer would die. And as soon as he died, they would go right back into serving the false gods of this world. And after starting to serve the false gods, God would deliver them into bondage yet again to one of the peoples, the Philistines in this case tonight. And then they would be in bondage and eventually they would finally cry out to the Lord and he would send them yet another deliverer. And you know what happened seven times in the book of Judges? We're on that seventh time tonight as we're getting close to the end of the book. Now the guy that gets is the this last judge we're looking at is a guy that is an incredible enigma to me because and at the same time he should be an encouragement to all of us. Tonight's chapter should serve as both an example and a warning to all of us because we're going to see this man by the name of Samson who is uniquely called by God who's in God's hall of faith and the Lord starts this guy's life in an incredible way. If you were here a few weeks ago, in chapter 13, Jesus himself showed up to a barren woman and her husband and told them they were going to have a son. And he told them that this son would be the deliverer. He would be, the, God, the Holy Spirit would be upon him. He was to have the Nazarite vow from his birth. And he would be the deliverer that God used to take them out of the bondage they were in to the Philistines. So we need to learn, again, that as the Lord shows up and that these great things begin with this man that sadly we're going to see that he falls so far short of what God had for him. And I believe, sadly, this is the case for most Christians today. God wants to do a lot more with us than we're letting him. Amen? God wants to do so much more in each of our lives as individuals, and we're so caught up in chasing the things of this world that are passing away that we're missing out on God's highest. Certainly that's the case with Samson. Now, they return to worship, again, the false idols of Canaan, even after four godly judges had given them 31 years of peace, just setting the tone for the chapter tonight. 
So they call this man by, by the name of Samson. God calls him to be the man. He, and he's given the Nazarite vow from before he's born. Now just by way of quick reminder, because it's going to come into play big time in the chapter tonight, a vow is more than just a promise. It's not all try really hard. This is an absolute, in God's eyes, an unbreakable bond for a lifetime. Now the specifics of the Nazarite vow, there were three things that they were to be separated from. The word Nazar for Nazarite means to separate. So the Nazarites were separated from the world and unto God. And he said, this man, this child you're going to have, is going to have the Holy Spirit upon him from his birth, and he's going to be separated unto the Lord. Now, what were the things they were to do to remain separated from the world? Some good examples for us. The first one was they were to have nothing to do with any alcohol. No wine, no grapes, no raisins, nothing. Why? God knew that if he said no wine, they'd be fermenting some grapes and making excuses for why it was okay. They'd be just chewing on fermented raisins or something, right? And the Lord just said, you know what? You can have nothing to do with wine, grapes, any of it. Stay away from it. In Ephesians it says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It says of pastors in 1 Timothy 3 that they're not given to wine. None of our pastors drink any alcohol, period. If you see them drinking it, let me know they're fired. Why? Because the Word of God says that a pastor is not given to wine. Now this is not legalism. This is not trying to, oh, it's God will love us. This is just walking in obedience to what God's called us to do. We don't do it so God will love me. I do it because He loves me. He knows what's best for me. By the way, it's not a struggle for me not to drink alcohol. I haven't, had, I haven't drank alcohol in 25 years, whatever, and it doesn't bother me this much. You know why? I got the Holy Spirit. I don't need the spirits. Amen? Don't need them. God Jesus. And so it also says in Proverbs, it is not for kings to drink wine nor princes strong drink. So they were not to drink wine because it lowers their inhibitions and it gives control over to the flesh. Is that true or not? You drink alcohol and you give yourself over to the flesh. And these guys were to be walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit set apart unto God. And so they were not to drink any alcohol. Now, secondly, not only were they not to drink alcohol, they were also to let their hair grow out. Now, this might seem like an odd thing, but they were to do that as, an, as a public statement of their vow. So that anybody could see them and look and know that they've made a vow to God. And so in the case of John the Baptist, in the case of Samuel, in the case of Samson, he was not to cut his hair. Now we're going to see as we go through the chapters, it wasn't his long hair that gave him strength, it was the Holy Spirit. But we're going to see that it was a symbol of the vow he had made to the Lord. So they were to stay away from things that would intoxicate them, and they were to live a life that could easily be identified to the world. And then thirdly, they were to touch no dead thing. They were to go, no, go near nothing that was dead. They were to have nothing because it would defile them and they were not to touch it. So what's interesting about that is that God has called you and I to be in the world and separated from the world and the people of the world who don't know God, the Bible tells us, are spiritually what? Dead. Now we're to minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. So these three things were a part of Samson's life from even before he was born because when the Lord ascended back into heaven, as you saw in the last chapter, he told 
Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, don't even have grapes while you're pregnant. Don't have wine while you're pregnant because the Nazarite vow begins now. Now they got to see him go up into heaven. And when he did, they made sacrifice. What did, what did Samson's parents do? They fell flat on their face and worshiped God. You know, Samson had it all going for himself. What did he have? He had godly parents. He had God's calling upon his life. He had the Holy Spirit moving upon him. His parents, these godly parents, had seen God face to face. They had seen his glory ascend into heaven. They had fallen on their face before God. It says later that the Lord blessed Samson. And then it says of him that the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. His name means bright, light, or sunny. And God was bringing him to shine a bright light into the darkness of what was going on in the world because at that time, they were all falling away from God. He was going to be the guy that God was going to use to deliver them out of 40 years of bondage to the Philistines. So as we come to tonight's text, Samson seems to have it all going for himself. He seems to be, again, the next great judge and deliverer of Israel, uniquely called by God, divinely equipped by God, a champion with undefeatable powers, we're going to see. But guess why he's going to fall short? Then we're going to get to the text. Because while he was a champion of, undeniable, of undefeatable power, divinely equipped by God, uniquely called by God, he was also a man of unreliable character. So I titled the message tonight, if you're a note taker, Compromise, the enemy of calling. Compromise is the enemy of a calling of God in your life. You know, so often I talk to people, that's one of the biggest questions people have. How do I know God's will and how do I know God's calling for my life? Can I tell you something? Love God, serve Him with your whole heart, and then do what you want. You know why? When you're loving God, serving Him with your whole heart, He's going to make what He wants what you want. You're going to want to do what He wants you to do. It's going to be a get to and not a have to. But you know where we struggle? Knowing God's will is when our life is filled with compromise. When we're doing things our own way, when we're disregarding the Word of God. And that's exactly what Samson does. Nothing can quench the calling, equipping, empowering, and gifting of God quicker than the self-centered, flesh-driven will of man succumbing to the world's temptations. Samson is an object lesson for all of us that even though a man or a woman may be called, uniquely called, divinely equipped, spiritually empowered, it can all be fruitless if there is compromise and a lack of godly character. Reputation is defined as what we do when everyone's watching. Character is defined as what we do when no one is watching. And God has called us to be men and women of godly character. When we compromise, we're the ones missing out on God's will. Because here's the thing, you guys. God's will is going to be done with or without you. Did you know that? He's not like, oh, I hope Dave does it. If he doesn't, everything's going to fall apart. No, aren't you glad we're not depending on any man? Amen? But guess what? His will is going to be done with or without us. But here's the difference. We will miss out on the blessing if we don't get involved. We will miss out on having a fruitful life that impacts eternity. God can do it with us or in spite of us. And we're going to see in Samson, sadly, it's going to be the latter. So if you're a note taker, compromise. The enemy of calling. Three areas of compromise in Samson's life. Number one, he's led by the flesh instead of the spirit. He's led by his flesh instead of the spirit. Does anybody else struggle with that? Secondly, he walks in direct disobedience to the word of God. And I'm sure none of you have ever done that either. He walks in direct disobedience to the word of God. God's word says it and he does the exact opposite. 
And I know that all of us have struggled with that as well. And then lastly, he takes his vow of separation lightly. He takes this vow and this commitment to God lightly, to be separated from the world and unto the Lord. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at compromise, the enemy of calling, first being led by the flesh and not by the Spirit. Look at verse 1. Now Samson went down. Yes, he did. Figuratively and literally. Samson, the last verse of the last chapter says, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. So the Spirit's upon him. Samson, uniquely called, divinely anointed by God, godly parents, a godly calling, knows what his life's about. Being told from the time he was five years old, you're going to be the deliverer. Look around, you see this mess? God's called you to be the deliverer. Worshiping God, being taught by his parents, and now we're going to see him finally grown up and living his life, and the first words it says about Samson is, Samson went down, and he did. It says he went down to Timnah. Now, Timnah was a city of the Philistines. Now, Nazarite, Nazar means to be separated. So unless he's going down there to fight with them, he's got no business being down there. But Samson goes down into Philistine territory. And he goes into the camp of the enemy. Now, the Philistine camps, you understand, will be filled with open idolatry. More than likely, open sexual immorality because they serve the gods of sex and immorality. And so he walks into this camp where he'd been living with his godly parents, serving the true and living God. He goes out into the world and walks into the camp. And guess what's going to be waiting for him? Temptation. Guys, when we go out into the world, guess what's waiting for us? Temptation. And so he goes down into Timnah. And he sees the environment around him, this judge and deliverer of Israel. Instead of being repulsed by the behavior he sees, he's enticed by it. Instead of looking at it and going, oh, Lord. Instead, he looks and goes, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. You know, we put ourselves into ungodly environments. Our flesh is enticed. Now, we're not to go live up on a mountain somewhere and chant till God gets back. Amen. We're not to be so separated from the world we can't have any impact on it. But we shouldn't be entertained by the things of the world, the things that are contrary to the word of God. Ouch. Let me say that again. We shouldn't be watching people commit adultery and call it entertainment. Amen? We shouldn't be watching the kinds of things that our Savior had to die on the cross for and think that it's funny and laughable. And You know why? Because you get desensitized to sin. You really do. You start watching it and watching it and watching it. And so the same thing is happening here. He walks into this city, for the, maybe for the first time, we don't know. But he sees this immorality going on all around. And instead of being repulsed by it, he's enticed by it. We must learn, like Joseph, to flee youthful lust, not to give in to it. What did Joseph do? Left his coat behind, right? Potiphar's wife was grabbing him. Come sleep, come lie with me. And we know she had to be fine or he wouldn't have ran. Amen? If she was ugly, he'd say, give me my coat. I would stop it. You know, he was tempted. And he ran away. And you know what? We need to run away from those things. Amen? Flee from them. 
Don't entertain them or we'll fall into them. So Samson's flesh was aroused as he walked through the camp. His curiosity was piqued. His flesh wanting to be fed, seeks to be fed. And again, how? Israel's deliverer. He's in enemy territory. He should be conquering and instead he's carousing. Instead of conquering them, look what it says. He saw a woman. Uh Uh-oh. Now, those of you who've read ahead, you know Samson's problem. This is it. He saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, he went down and he saw a woman. That's the capsule of Samuel's life, Samson's life right there. He went down, saw a woman. There it is. No doubt he saw many women, but there was one that really caught his eye. Now, what was so special about this woman? He hasn't talked to her, so it's not her sparkling personality. It's not her wit or her humor. It's certainly not that she's on fire for God, and he, he's in awe of that. Right? He hasn't said hello to her. This is lust, not love. He saw a woman and said, ooh, she's fine. She's a Philistine. Oh, I don't care. She's not saved. Oh, it doesn't matter to me. No, Samson was hanging out where he shouldn't be, and his flesh was aroused and was now leading the way. Samson's being moved by lust. It says, of the daughters of the Philistines, the very people God had called him to do what to? Destroy them. He's supposed to destroy the Philistines. Why? They're godless. They had rejected God. They had his people in bondage. He was supposed to be the light into this darkness, deliver them out of bondage, and instead he wants to hook up with a Philistine woman. A pagan, immoral, idolatrous woman, he doesn't care. And you know what? That's happened to most of the people in this room at some point. Amen? That was weak. Amen? You get caught up in your flesh. Why? Because you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And you start making excuses. I have people, I'll tell you what, the number one thing people make excuse me about is who they're dating. Well, yeah, but, you know, uh, yeah, he's, he's a Christian. Really? Based on what? Well, he got baptized when he was a baby, and, and uh, he went to church last Christmas, and, and uh, I saw him watching Jesus of Nazareth on TV one time, so that's it! If you have to make a case for his salvation, he's not saved. Amen? Quit trying to build a case for why it's okay to date this guy or date this girl. That'll be a stand on their own two feet, amen? And don't just look for someone who's barely saved. Don't you want someone on fire for God, passionately in love with Jesus? And instead, he sees this woman. Now look what he says. Look at this. This is the, he's supposed to be the leader. What kind of mess is Israel in if this is their leader? Look what it says in verse 2. So he went up and told his father and mother, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, go get her for me as a wife. I want her. Go get her. Huh? Huh? <laughs> me want wife. Go get her now. <laughs> Samson. Following the very... Now, here's the critical part. These are the first words of Samson in the whole Bible. 
whole Bible, we haven't heard anything. God's anointed, uniquely, divinely inspired. God's got his hand upon him. What is his first words? They're going to be powerful. What does it say? I have seen a woman. Go get her for me. <laughs> Samson's words. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. The man whose calling was announced to the parents even before his birth, Lord's blessing upon him, set apart by God, Holy Spirit moving upon him. What great and profound words, woman, give me. That's his words. Samson moved by the lust of the flesh, not the leading of the spirit. We see him praying here about this woman at all? We know he didn't pray or he wouldn't be asking this question. Amen? I have people tell me that. Well, I prayed about it, and I just know God said it's okay for me to marry. He's not really saved, but God, I prayed, and God said, God, God, is, God did not say. Amen? You get me all fired up when people tell me that. I prayed about it. I know it's, I know it's contrary to the Bible, but God said it's okay for me. Uh, someone's lying, and it ain't God. Amen? And too often, this is what's happening with Samson, is Samson's on his own agenda. I've seen this woman. No prayer. Doesn't seek any godly counsel. And while his parents were the ones to make arrangements for the marriage in those days, he didn't say, hey, mom and dad, let me ask you a question. Hey, mom and dad, can you give me some direction about this woman I saw down in Timnah? He says, go get her. Bring her back. Driven by the fever pitch of lust, he simply demands they go get him what he wants. He doesn't say, what does the Lord want? He says, what do I want? That's lust, isn't it? That's Aaron love. Not what he wants, what do I want? None of this would have happened had he not been hanging out down there to begin with. That's a good lesson for all of us, amen? Chances are you are not going to meet the godly person that the Lord has for you if you are hanging out at a rave or in a bar, amen? Going to Vegas for the weekend, going to find me a wife. I don't think so. You don't find people on fire. Again, you, you might find someone in Vegas witnessing to somebody. I don't want to paint too broad. But here's the point. Samson went down into the land of the Philistines and fell for a Philistine woman. And if you're hanging out in the world where the word, world hangs out, yeah, I just, you know, I don't know why I keep dating these unbelievers. Well, where are you meeting them? I had a really close friend for years. We were like best friends and he would disappear. I wouldn't see him for months. I wouldn't know what was up. He would just wouldn't call me. So I'd call him on the phone. How long have you been dating the unbeliever? I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been, right? Because I would know if he didn't want to be near me, he knew I was going to ask him the question. And it would always be, so where'd you meet her? Uh, I met her in a, 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 a restaurant. Oh, you mean a bar? Uh, they serve food there, you know. How much food did you have to eat before you met her? <laughs> Samson goes down, down into the land of the Philistines, sees a Philistine woman, no doubt dressed in a different way than any woman he's ever seen where he lives. He's attracted to her because of the fleshly desire. He runs home to his parents, says, get her for me, doesn't seek any godly counsel. This is a man being led by the flesh, compromises the enemy of calling. And he's compromising. God wanted to do such great things through Samson, and yet he was going to miss it because he was being led by his flesh, 
not the Spirit. Number two, walking in direct disobedience to the Word of God. Look at verse three. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all our people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Praise God for godly parents. Amen? They didn't even just say Philistines. They said uncircumcised Philistines. Circumcision was a picture of the commitment to God. And he said, why can't you find someone among God's people Why do you have to go down amongst the enemies of God to find a spouse? When the barons do speak, they speak godly words. And when we're whipped up in our flesh, the last thing we want is godly counsel. Isn't that true? Like I said, my friend avoiding me because he didn't want to hear it. Not that I'm perfect. I'm sure I've probably avoided people too in my lifetime for the same reason. Where you know, if I ask him, I already know what he's going to say, so I'm not asking. I had someone come up after church many months ago. And they already go, we know what you're going to say, but we have to tell you anyway. We're living together. What do you think? (laughs) Why don't you answer your question? Uh, We need to uh, move out and then start pre-marriage counseling and honor God and get married. Amen? (laughs) There it is. Wouldn't you like to start? You know, here's the point, guys. We don't have to wonder what the Word of God says if we'll just read it. The Word of God is the standard, not my opinion or what I think or how I feel. Do our feelings lie to us? All day long. And he just wants what his flesh wants. And Samson wanted was in direct disobedience to the Word of God. In Deuteronomy, written before Judges. If you look in your Bible, Deuteronomy comes before Judges, right? Deuteronomy 7 says this, Nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. That's pretty significant. He says, don't don't give your daughters away to their sons. Don't take their son. Don't do that. Why? Because they will turn you away from God. You know why you don't marry an unbeliever? Because they will turn you away from God. They will impact your walk with the Lord. Get her for me. Look what he says. So his parents say, what about, you know, the people. And Samson said to his dad, get her for me, for she pleases me well. He's got me, my, and I-itis, doesn't he? I saw, I want, give me, me. She pleases me well. Fred Flintstone or something, right? Samson didn't want what was right, but what pleased him. His flesh was running his life. He was not concerned about what God wanted, but what he wanted. And he was even willing to disregard not only God's word, but godly counsel and demand what his flesh wanted. Again, still prevalent today. People are bound by romantic feelings. Many will disregard God's word, godly counsel, and demand what their flesh wants. I know I already said it, I'll make it clear. We are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Amen? Gals, can I tell you something? You should want a man who loves God as much or more than you do. Because God has called him to be the spiritual leader in your relationship. Amen? So why would you just, well, yeah, you know, drag, why would you want to drag a guy along spiritually? If you're dragging him now, once you're married, it's going to get worse. Because right now he's got a reason to be dragged. He wants you, right? And guys will lie. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, no problem. 
Guys are liars. Go to, I'll go to church. Yeah, church sounds good. I'll go to church. I'm a Mormon. Fine, I'll be a Mormon. I'm a Jew. Okay, okay, I can do it. I'll go to camp. Fine. Drag, drag, drag. He gets married. Okay, that's it. Shuts it down. We don't want that. Don't, don't just, again, look for one who's taken the name of Christian. Look for one who's passionately in love with Jesus. Amen? Guys and girls alike. And so here he says, she pleases me well. She looks good in my eyes. Nothing about God. Nothing about godly counsel. Nothing about what the Lord has to say about anything. Just what he wants. Now look what it says in verse 4. But his father and mother did not know it was of the Lord. Wait a minute. Didn't you just tell me it's not of the Lord? Read the rest. That he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Now, God is going to use these circumstances, but it's still not God's highest for Samson to do what he's doing. Because it's contrary to God's word. Sometimes people will say, well, good came of it, so it must have been okay. The end does not justify the means. Just because you got married and down the road the person got saved doesn't mean it was okay for you to get married to an unbeliever. Amen? Now God's a God of grace and he can restore that and praise the Lord for that. But you shouldn't run around and say, yeah, well, I got married to an unbeliever and you know, eight years later he got saved and worked out great. You should say, don't get married to an unbeliever. It's out of God's will. And what we're seeing very clearly here is that Samson's behavior, though unacceptable, God is still going to use it to bring about what he wants, which is to bring defeat upon the Philistines. God's will is going to be done in spite of Samson, not because of his faithfulness. It says there, an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. God's will will be accomplished with us or without us. And again, it doesn't justify ungodly behavior because the results end up good because of God's grace. God's going to use Samson to bring about his purposes, but again, in spite of his sinful behavior. Samson deals with the consequences of rebellion. He misses out on God's highest. He misses out on all, and we'll see it when in a couple chapters. He could have, been, could have been like Samuel, right? Samuel, mighty man of God, finishes well. Samson, everything caves in on him, literally, right? Why? Because of his rebellion. My prayer is, Lord, work through me, not in spite of me. Amen? Lord, work through me, not in spite of me. I want to be a tool in the hand of my master. So compromise, the enemy of calling. Number one, being led by the flesh and not by the spirit. Number two, walking in direct disobedience to the word of God. And then thirdly, taking the vow of separation lightly. Acting like it's not a big deal to be intermixed with the world. This is not a big deal. It's not a big deal to be separated unto God. It just doesn't matter all that much. That was Samson's heart, and it doesn't work out. Verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the, what? The vineyards of Timnah. Now... What kind of vow is he taking? Nazarite vow. What is one of the three things they're supposed to stay away from? Grapes, alcohol, any, wine, raise anything you would find in a vineyard. Why are you in a vineyard, Samson? He's on his way to go down to meet the woman he's not supposed to be with, and he's taking a shortcut through a vineyard. Don't you just want to shake him? You know what, though? Isn't that how God is with us sometimes? 
We're going outside of his will and running through something that's contrary to his will on our way to get there. And this is Samson. You know, he's in Hebrews chapter 11, God's Hall of Faith. This guy. Doesn't that give you hope? This guy's in God's Hall of Faith. Samson should be running away from vineyards, not walking through them. Should have nothing to do with it. If you have something you struggle with, if you struggle with alcohol, don't move upstairs from a liquor store. Amen? If you struggle with lusting after women, don't move next door to a strip club. Or have internet access in your house. Amen? You don't leave portholes to the very thing that tempts you, or the very thing that you're not supposed to be near. And here's Samson... Now watch what happens. I love the types and the pictures all over the Old Testament. So he's going through this Philistine vineyard to get to this Philistine woman when he should be going in there with an army behind him to lay him onto the ground. But look what happens. So he's going through the vineyard, and to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. He goes into the vineyard he's not supposed to be in, and a lion attacks him. It's not a goat attacking him or a bear, it's a lion. The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's heading down toward Timnah. He takes a detour away from his parents, as we're going to see, through the vineyards. He's walking in the midst of this sinful temptation by choice. And guess who shows up? The enemy. Isn't that amazing how that works? We get outside of God's will. We go away from godly accountability. We have nobody walking beside us to keep us away from the temptation. We choose to go there, and then Satan shows up, and we're surprised. Because it says there he was surprised. He's shocked. The enemy shows up when he's walking through. Now, it says in 1 Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. When we are complacent in our walk with the enemy, he's right there ready to pounce. When you just start walking in your flesh, the enemy will be right there. Samson is out of God's will. He's off track. He's without accountability. And the enemy pounces. But you've got to love the next verse. Look what it says. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart. What a gracious God we serve. He is out of God's will. He's going through something he shouldn't be anywhere near. He's headed to go get a woman he's not supposed to have anything to do with. And a lion comes out to get him, and the Lord gives him the power to overcome it. Now what verse does that bring to mind? No temptation. Such is common to man, and he makes a what? A way of escape. God is so gracious, isn't he? We can be in the bar trying to get the woman who, you know, when we're married and trying to get, be in an adulterous relationship, and God will bring an attack against us and of a way of escape to get us out of there so we don't fall into it. I believe this was God's warning to Samson. Let me slow him down a bit. All right, enemy, you can go ahead and get in there and grab it. And then I'm going to give him the power to tear the lion up. Look what it says there. He tore the lion apart as one would have torn a young goat. In those days, they would grab a goat by the bottom legs and when they were going to you know, cook it or whatever, sacrifice, and they would rip it apart. He grabbed the lion like that and ripped it in pieces. 
Now, again, I told you last week, a lot of these picture books have Samson looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I personally do not believe he was a big guy. The reason I don't believe he was a big guy, nowhere in the Bible does it say he was a big guy. And if he was a big guy, people wouldn't be saying, what's the secret to your strength? They would say, what's your workout program, dude? You're yoked. They wouldn't have said that, right? Instead, they go, dude, how are you so strong? I have an idea. He was little and strong. That would have been all the more amazing, right? So the key to having victory over Satan in the midst of temptation is, what does it say at the beginning of that verse? And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he tore the lion apart. How do we have victory in the midst of temptation? Walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Do you see this very clear type and picture? You've got to love the Old Testament. Got the Lord all over it. The Bible says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Remember, Jesus was, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. Then he went out into the wilderness and was, was tempted, right? And how did he overcome temptation? With the Word of God being empowered by the Spirit. And he's God. How much more do you and I need to be empowered by the Spirit to overcome temptation? Amen? Now, we shouldn't be walking there to begin with, but praise God for his grace. It wasn't Samson's hair that gave him strength. It was the Spirit. Now, look what happens. Though he had nothing in his hand, he tore him in half. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, why wouldn't a guy do that? He wasn't supposed to be in the vineyard. If he said, yeah, I just tore a lion up, dad would be proud. I tore a lion up, right? He, did, he didn't say to dad, say, really, where is it? Well, down in the vineyard. What were you doing in the vineyard? We've been telling you your whole life, stay out of the vineyard. What were you doing in the vineyard? Be like one of our kids telling us they fought off a, you know, a rabid dog in the middle of the freeway. What were you doing in the freeway? You know what I mean? We wouldn't even care about the animal. That's exactly what happens. He doesn't tell his parents. He doesn't tell them anything look at verse 7 then he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased samson well now the only way this woman could please him he was just filled with the holy spirit to defeat the lion if he was still walking in the spirit would this woman have pleased him what's the answer no way she was an idol worshiper she was a blasphemer against the true and the living god the only way she could please him is if he was only looking at her through physical eyes. The same danger we can all fall into today. Verse 8. After some time we returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Now this isn't this what a guy would do. Isn't this? He goes away for a while. They're arranging the marriage. His parents are arranging the marriage. By the way, I would, you know, God's a God of grace, but why are his parents arranging the marriage? I would have said, I wouldn't have said, well, can't you find a woman? I'd say, you're finding a woman over here. And sit down. And I don't care how big you are. And I don't care how strong you are. Sit down, Samson. Amen? We need some more parents to step up and say, you're not going to date an unbeliever. Period. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't care if you're 22. If you're living in my house, you're coming to church with me on Sunday. You're coming to me on Wednesday. And you're only dating people that love God. You break those rules. Have a nice day. Amen? Now, again, not that we don't love you. We love you enough to not allow you to prop up and compromise your ungodly behavior. But Samson's parents, unfortunately, go down and make the arrangements. So Samson goes back. Now it's time to come back. And he walks where? Again, through what? The vineyard. This guy, he's thick. But he walks through the vineyard, and he wants to go check out the lion carcass. 
Again, a guy thing. Go see that dead thing I killed last time. I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> so he walks down and goes over and he checks out the lion. Wants to see. He's not supposed to be in the vineyard. Not sp- and right, there it is. Not supposed to be by what else? No dead things. He's in a vineyard looking at a dead thing. Samson, you got three rules. Not 3,003. No wine, no vineyards, no dead things. I'm going to go over to the vineyard and look at the dead thing. Samson. So now look what happens. So he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now for me, this doesn't sound that tempting or attractive. Honey dripping in the side of a dead lion. Not so much. But obviously this is a temptation for Samson. So it says there, verse 9, he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So he went over and he saw some honey in a dead animal. And he scooped the honey out of the dead animal he's not supposed to be near or touch. In the vineyard he's not supposed to be in. While he's on his way down to marry the woman he's not supposed to marry. How's things working out for Samson so far? So he scoops the honey out and he walks along eating it. And then he takes it and gives some of it to his parents, but he doesn't tell them where he got it. Why? Because he wasn't supposed to be in the vineyard and he wasn't supposed to be touching any dead animals. This proves he's convicted enough to know he's not supposed to do this, right? Because he's hiding it. But the thing I find out interesting about this, there's sweet honey within a dead animal. Isn't that the way that sin and temptation are? They look sweet, but in the end they produce death. It looks tempting. It looks like it'll be sweet. And you know what? It is sweet to the taste for a minute. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end, it produces death and destruction. And he doesn't tell his parents. He gets sucked in. He goes in. He did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. I guess not. Character is what we do when no one's watching. What kind of man of character was Samson? Not so much. It's interesting, in India, all the believers, when they get saved, they leave their Hindu names and they take Christian names. And there's a lot of guys named Samson. And I, you know, I want to, brother, come here, man. Keep the Sam part. Put E-U-L at the end. Be, be Samuel. Don't be Samson. You know what I mean? Now, again, he's in God's hall of faith. He's a picture of God's grace because we know God's going to use him in spite of himself. Verse 10. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there for young men used to do so. You thought the bachelor party was something new. This word for feast here is drinking party. So Samson, who's not supposed to drink wine, has a drinking party to celebrate his wedding to a Philistine woman. Are there any problems with that statement or that sentence at all? This is God's appointed judge and deliverer. This is supposed to be the guy. This is supposed to be the most godly guy around. 
Do we see how godless the people are at this point? This is the best they got. And he's got no idea. As just living according to his own will. Sin's progression. Walking through a vineyard, now having a drunken party. His compromises have led him so far away from his true calling, it is scary. Look at verse 11. And it happened that they saw him, that they brought 30 companions to be with him. He didn't have any friends among the Philistines, so they hired 30 Philistines to be his friends for his drunken bachelor party. You didn't know this about Samson, did you? I just thought he was the big strong guy that knocked walls down. I didn't know that Samson. You know the world is really quick to join us when we're in the midst of sinful behavior. I don't think they had a hard time getting 30 guys to show up. What do you think? Drunken party, who wants to come? I can only take 30. Sorry, guys. You're gonna have to. You know what I mean? Don't you imagine that's probably how it was? Kager down on 12. Oh, everybody goes. And that's exactly what's happening here. This is God's guy. This is God's guy. And they're having a drunken rager to celebrate the fact that he's about to marry a woman who's not God's will for him. This is all the more reason to be separated from the world because the world will celebrate your sinful behavior. Won't it? I used to have guys in my office talking to other guys, encouraging them to cheat on their wives. Dude, man, if I had a chance, I'd go, I'd go for it, man. Your wife won't. I just want to go over and give him a shiver. You know what I mean? What are you doing? Dude, come here. You go with that woman, I'm calling your wife. How about that? And I'm paying attention. I'll drive to your house. I'll tell her. I will tell. You know, we need that instead of someone going, yeah, dude, go for it, man, yeah. That's why we need to stay away from the world because the world eggs us on in the wrong direction. Amen? And Samson's being egged on in the wrong direction. And now he's going to come up with a riddle. And this really bothers me because it says, Then Samson, Samson said, let me pose a riddle to you. Again, this is something that they did in the Orient. They would pose riddles and questions. And he said, if you can correctly solve and explain it to me within seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. He said, okay, now you understand in those days they had usually one set of clothing, maybe two. And he's saying, I'm going to buy you a whole new wardrobe, each and every one of you, if you can solve this riddle. Then it says in verse 13, but if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changers of clothing. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. Now, usually when you invite people to your wedding and they're going to be your groomsmen, you give them a gift. But Samson's kind of pulling an okey-doke here and he's saying, well, if you don't answer the question, you've got to give me stuff. And they're not going to be happy about this because he gives them a riddle that Sadly, it's pretty much impossible to solve, but also it shows something about where Samson's at. Look what it says. So he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Samson's talking about him getting honey out of the dead lion. Now, who's going to figure that out? Oh, I know what that means. You ate honey out of a dead lion. That ain't going to happen. But the thing that bothers me more is that he is taking light in his sinful behavior. He's turned his sinful behavior into a joke. I've sinned against God. I went into the vineyard where I wasn't supposed to be. I touched a dead animal I wasn't supposed to touch. 
It was sweet to me, and now I'm making a joke of it, and I'm going to get 30 changes of clothes. I'm actually going to profit from my sinful behavior. You know what? That's what happens today when we start getting so seared over in our conscience, our sin becomes a joke. We start mocking it and laughing about it, like it's not a big deal. May we never take sin that lightly. It's bad enough to disobey God, but when you make a joke of it, you've sunk to a new low in spiritual insensitivity. And again, this is a riddle that would probably bring him profit. Now it says there, now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day, they said to Samson's wife. Now, we don't know for sure that she's actually his wife at this point yet. Because in those days they had a week-long wedding feast. And at the end of the seventh day, they consummated the marriage. Okay? The end of the seventh day. And so they're in the seventh day. And they go to his wife, right? Marriage hasn't been consummated yet, more than likely. That's my take on it. And now they go to her because they can't figure out the riddle and they don't want to be buying this guy 30 new wardrobes. So they come and here's what they say. Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Now aren't these the kind of people you want to invite to your wedding? This is the world. You know, was that an awesome wedding on Sunday or what? That was such a blessing seeing Manny and Krista get married. I and mean, what a great thing. Right after church, just, you know, what a great thing. It wasn't the surroundings. It's because you guys were here. They were so blessed. And that's the way it ought to be when people get married. Amen? You guys were all standing up and cheering for them and hugging them and loving them and encouraging them and praying for them. That's the wedding party. Amen? But the wedding party of the world says, you don't tell us the riddle. We're burning your house down. You know why? Because they're all about themselves too. If you're caught up in your lust and married to somebody out of your lust and you're being driven by your flesh and you marry somebody who's like-minded, you kind of get what you deserve, don't you? And that's what's happening here. So they come to her and say, entice your husband or else we're going to burn it. Have, have you invited us in in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Here's the thing. They actually feel like they got invited to this thing and they're take, getting taken advantage of because for some of these guys, it would have been the clothes off their back. We don't answer this riddle. We got one more day. They're going to take the clothes off my back from me. So I wrote this down. Samson's deceptive riddle had brought potential harm to his wife. So here's what's happening. A woman he shouldn't be marrying, being threatened by men he should never have met, over a riddle he should have never posed, making light of sinful actions that he should have never taken. That pretty clear or what? That's what's happening. Samson's consequences for his compromise were just beginning. His groomsmen were wanting to burn his wife's house down because she was still living with her father up till that moment, till the marriage was consummated. Now look what it says. Verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. That's not even a new ploy either, is it? If you love me, isn't that a tool that's used today? If you, if a girl, guys, girls, if a guy says, if you love me, you, he, he, he don't love you. He's in lust with you, amen? If he loves you, he will treat you with respect. So she says here, you know, if you loved me, then you would. I don't know how he could possibly love her. He's talked to her once, right? He saw her, he's in lust with her. He doesn't love her, but she says, if you really loved me, then you would. 
You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I've not explained it to my father and my mother, so why should I explain it to you? That goes over real well, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, marriage requires work in a Christ-centered home. And when you take Christ out of the equation, it's a disaster waiting to happen. By the way, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay and pray. It's God's will that you be there. And God can bring your marriage, make your marriage whole, can't he? Amen? That's God's will for you to stay. But Samson's wife was manipulating him with tears, questioning his love for her. Verse 17. Now she had wept on him the seven days, and while, she, while the feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. Whose side is she on? She didn't say, Samson, let me tell you what's happening. They're threatening to burn my dad's house down. Now, what would have happened if she had told Samson? Those dudes have been in trouble, right? This is Samson. But she doesn't go to her husband. Instead, she takes the side of the world. And this is what happens when you get married to an unbeliever. They take the side of the world because they don't know God. And that's what's happening here. Being unequally yoked is a recipe for disaster. She wept on him, a sign of things to come for Samson. This isn't the only time we're going to see this. So she first enticed him, then she manipulates him, and now she betrays him. Now, I have an idea. There's a reason why he told her. What day is this? The what day? Seventh day. What happens on the seventh day? Consummation of the marriage. You think that might have motivated Samson a little bit? He saw her. He didn't know anything about her. He was in lust. He wanted to fulfill it. And she said, oh, he goes, okay, all right, I'll tell you. So he tells her. Samson's main weakness was what? Women. He was a he-man who was she-weak. Amen? So she goes and explains the peop- to the people. And again, her loyalties lie with her people. A match made in heaven, each only focused on what was best for themselves in the relationship. They were both self-centered. They both cared only about themselves. They both only had Aaron love. This is a disaster waiting to happen. Verse 18. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And guess what he found out? My wife! Right? What do you think he thought immediately? Who many told? His wife. He knew he had been betrayed. They solved the riddle, and Samson knew he'd been betrayed. And note the quick change in Samson's feelings towards his wife, because Aaron love is fleeting. In verses 1 and 2, he had to have her. Now, after seven days of drinking and being manipulated and being betrayed, how does he refer to her? Look what he says. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my what? Heifer. Seven days. Drinking. She betrays him. She manipulates him. She's a cow all of a sudden. Isn't this amazing? Gotta have her, Dad. Go get her. Go get her. I want her. I saw she pleases me well. She's a cow. Why? She betrayed him. Why? Because he didn't even know her. Amen? We need to look beyond the surface to get to know the person. Amen? Build a relationship with some depth. Don't be so in a hurry to get married. Slow down a little bit, okay? Now, some people are too slow. Eight years is too long for an engagement. 
right? Eight days, too short. Amen? Somewhere in between there is an appropriate number, right? Take the time to get to know, build a friendship, build a relationship. But it can turn on a dime. Why? Because it was based totally on the flesh. But when you have agape love, it's unconditional. It's not based on what the other person does. It's not based on them being perfect. It's based on the love God has for you and the love he's given you for them. Take your time to get to know that person. All this grief is a result of his own fleshly behavior. If you had not plowed with my heifer, if you hadn't talked to my wife, you would not have solved the riddle. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, does this blow you away? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, another territory where Philistines dwelt, and killed 30 of their men and took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who explained the riddle. So he got the riddle, they got the riddle right, and 30 other guys died. Then he came back and gave them their clothes. Samson was indeed she weak, but his strength came from what? Again, the what? The empowering of the Holy Spirit. Every time you see him being strong, it's when he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon him to give him vengeance to get the clothing. It was because God's plan always was to bring judgment upon the Philistine people. And finally now, Samson is willing to be, take an active role in that. It says there, And gave the change of clothing to those who explained the riddle, so his anger was aroused, and he went back to his father's house. Notice what he did. He didn't even go and consummate the marriage. He went home because he was mad. What kind of love is this? This is Aaron love at its highest. Aaron love says, oh yeah, I love you, love you, love you. It's all about me, and if you don't give me what I want, and you don't act in the way that I want, I'm out of here. But agape love is unconditional. And that's not the kind of love we see here. And you know what's amazing about this? Is God not rescuing him? What's the answer? Look at all the garbage, all the things he did, and God rescued him. How many of you have ever felt like you're right where he's at and God rescued you? You totally blew it 19 different ways, and you know it, and you should be totally in, and then God just pulls you out of it. And you didn't deserve it, did you? And yet, don't we sometimes go right back? What's the end? Don't we? Guess what? Got two more chapters about Samson. He's not done yet. Last verse. And Samson's wife was given to his companion. He's going to find out about that next week. How do you think he's going to feel? Even though he went home, he's going to come back next week bringing a gift for his wife because that's how guys are who are in lust. Because later they go, oh yeah, she was kind of fine though, even though she, I'll go back. And he brings a goat with him, going to go down to see her, and he's going to find out she's married to your best man. And Samson, not going to be happy. So read ahead, and you'll see next week. So Samson's wife was given to his companion or his friend, We see God's grace even in the midst of rebellion. What a gracious God we serve, allowing circumstances to get him back on track. You know what? I pray that all the time. You ever heard people pray for the hounds of heaven to hunt somebody down? Somebody's way outside of God's will. Lord, just go get them. Lord, do whatever you got to do. And Lord, I pray that for my own life. If I get off track, Lord, do whatever you've got to do to get me back on track. Amen? This is a picture of God's grace. You should be encouraged by it. 
How could he have avoided all of this heartache if he had just not gone down and hung out with those people to begin with? Amen? If he just stayed where he belonged and honored the Word of God. So, in closing, compromise. The enemy of calling. Three areas of compromise in Samplin's life we can all learn from. Being led by the flesh, not by the Spirit. Walking in direct disobedience to the Word of God has heavy consequences. And we should never take God's calling for us to be separated from the world too lightly. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your love and Your grace. And we thank You, Lord, that in the midst of great messes like this, You're such a gracious God to reach us in and pull us out. Every single one of us, Lord, was headed for eternal separation from You. And by Your grace, You drew us unto Yourself. Lord, I pray, if there's anybody here tonight that finds themselves or has chosen to walk through the vineyard and touch the the things they shouldn't touch, and be involved with the things they shouldn't be involved in, I pray that even tonight would be a night of restoration to right fellowship before You. Lord, I pray we'd surround ourselves with godly accountability that we'd be led by Your Spirit and not by our flesh. Lord, that we'd be open and transparent to one another. And Lord, that we'd be men and women of godly character so that the calling You've placed upon our lives would not be destroyed. But Lord, we want to walk in the center of Your will, obedient to Your calling. We love You and we praise You. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.